Shalom, Mishpacha. I want to speak to you on this week's Kadima talk about the business side of ministry. Now, I know this makes some people uncomfortable because we don't like to connect business with the kingdom of God. Uh, Yet there must remain a separation between the things of the world and what we do in the kingdom. Or if you're a believer and you have a business, there must be a difference between you and everyone else. Because as believers, our ethics, morality, and business model must be different from the world's. (laughs) Because the flip side to this in ministry anyways is that there's a process going on with salaries, with insurance, with taxes, just like you have in your business. So there's a business side of ministry. But what this all comes down to is being in proper alignment. And we're going to talk about some scriptural preferences today because there's a lot of Torah mitzvahs or commands that deal with people who have businesses or ministry, which also on the backside of it is business. Incredible. Romans 12, verse 2 says, In other words, do not let yourselves be conformed to the standards of the Alam Hazay, which is this world. Instead, keep letting yourselves be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know what God wants and will agree that what he wants is good, satisfying, and able to succeed. So in other words, we don't conform to the business practices and ethics of the world. We let ourselves be renewed of the mind so that we know what God wants from us. It's all about aligning yourself with the kingdom of God and all that you do, whether in business or in ministry, the foundation and basics are the same. Because of this, the way in which fellow believers work in a ministry must look different from the world's perspective. I've heard many, many teachings and religious concepts regarding the term fellowship over the years. And there's a lot. And why am I talking about this? Because everything I'm going to share today is about relationship and alignment with the kingdom of God. So a lot of terms we routinely use in the body of Messiah, lingo that reveals whomever is saying it is usually a believer. The terms are so commonplace that few delve into the root meaning of the term's actual meaning. One such word is fellowship, a term that's used a lot, uh, but many times uh, not in its true biblical foundation or meaning. Fellowship in Hebrew is chabar, which is to unite, join, bind together, to be joined, to be coupled, be in league, have fellowship with, make an ally of, to join oneself, to make an alliance. So in Torah, fellowship is to be in alignment with each other. Unity, to be in a chad, to be joined together. In our contemporary world and society today, the meaning of fellowship tends to range from gathering together for food or a movie or party to worship services. It's mostly connected and associated with a gathering centered around eating. Isn't that our history? They tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. Just joking. Inherently, if there's nothing else going on here, if there's no agendas or subversive motives, there's nothing wrong in calling these gatherings fellowship. Interacting with each other and building relationship is important and foundational to who we are as Messianic believers. It allows us to better know, relate, and understand each other. It allows us to break down the walls of separation and partition that we may truly be united in one accord. The word shares that God desired fellowship with his creation. Fellowship is a heart issue, relational, spiritual, something to be felt and expressed, not a program, service, schedule, or religious activity. God daily walked in the garden during the evening breeze in a time of fellowship and communion with his creation. Adam and Eve, created by Adam and I, were originally immortal. Adonai, the living God, had no plan or design for death. They disobeyed the known will of God. They sinned by eating what they were told not to eat. Genesis 2 verse 17, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're not to eat from it because the day that you eat from it, it will become certain that you will die. 
dietary laws, knowledge, the recipe for original sin and the fall of humanity, which altered God's original design of fellowship with his creation. It also corrupted and changed our DNA, resulting in death. God never desired or intended for mediator's religion or any other substitute fellowship. He desired intimate, direct fellowship with his creation. He always has. He always will. The original sin reveals five steps, five patterns or processes that's plagued mankind, corrupting our proper alignment with Adonai since Adam and Eve's fall. Number one, God says when God speaks, it will always be a revelation to both man and creation. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're not to eat from it because on that day you eat from it, you will uh, certainly die. Number two, the serpent said, did God really say you're not to eat from the tree in the garden? Someone interprets what God says, which contains partial truths. This is how fellowship is corrupted and destroyed. Because God knows on that day that you eat from your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second because as we get into this in a few minutes here, this directly connects to Torah principles of business practices. You know, there was a day back when I was a young person that on Saturday afternoons, the bank closed at noon. Uh, the grocery store was only open till three or four o'clock Saturday afternoon. And if you needed money, you had to cash a check. You had to get to the bank Saturday morning. You had to get to the grocery store. Some grocery stores in those days would cash uh, check for a small amount of cash because on starting Saturday evening through Sunday, everything was closed. And we called that the blue laws. But this comes from the Torah principle or the practice of not doing work on Shabbat. Now, was the day wrong? Yes, it was off the day. But you know, it's a matter of the heart. And God really cares about our intent. Are we seeking to fulfill his word? I think he was less concerned that it was a day off, but the, but honored by the fact that we did this. Now, because of business and money, 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 no one does this anymore except for one business. And I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. So by doing this, we start dishonoring God and when we do that, then that hedge of protection is lifted over us. And what we just read here, did God really say not to work on Shabbat? What? Well, yes, he did. And see, this is how we get into false business practices and wind up with poor or sour ethics in what we do. Number three, the lies believed and God has disobeyed. She took some of its fruit and ate. The corruption is set. They're both infected with sin and became mortal. Number four, the lies shared with others. And counterfeit fellowship is birthed. Others are brought in, and they're infected with the same lying deceit. She also gave some of this fruit to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Number five, then they are immediately separated, estranged from God, destroying true heavenly fellowship. Beset with guilt, shame, and division from the infection of sin, they immediately cover themselves and start doing their own process, vice God's word. They realize that they were naked, so that they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves loincloths. Every religion... Doctrine, motive, or agenda not from the throne room results in counterfeit fellowship and improper alignment. Hasetan strives to pervert, corrupt, and destroy true biblical fellowship with Adonai and between us. Fellowship is often used as a ploy, a guise for personal agendas and motives contrary to Adonai and his outpouring. You must stand on biblical truth and principles which will place you at odds with dissenters. We must investigate the true biblical foundation of fellowship and search out what true fellowship Chabar is and what Adonai desires we experience with him and each other. Fellowship appears in the early Messianic movement and gives us a revelation and understanding and a true meaning. In Acts 2, verses 42 through 46, they continued faithfully in the teaching of the emissaries and in fellowship. Koinonia, which is fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation, 
intimacy, the right hand is a sign of pledge of fellowship in breaking bread and in prayers. So this is the same word as chabar in the Hebrew. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many miracles and signs took place through the emissaries. All those trusting in Yeshua stayed together and had everything in common. In fact, they sold their property, possessions, and distributed the proceeds to all who were in need, continuing faithfully out with signals of purpose to meet in the temple courts daily, breaking bread in their several homes. They shared their food in joy and simplicity of heart. Fellowship wasn't an occasional or even regular gathering party or foodie event. It was community support and association and communion with each other. They were unified, moving and flowing together in fluidity as a single body, united by a common bond through Yeshua for a unified purpose. So we must be in proper alignment with Adonai. You know, it's, again, uncomfortable to talk about ministry in terms of business or business through a biblical worldview. Yes, we do answer to a higher authority. So if you work at a business, run a business, or run a ministry, we have to be in proper alignment with God and his word. Both ministry, congregations, and businesses focus upon caring in relationship to congregates, to customers, employees, even the world. By following biblical standards, we obtain meaning, connection, relationships, fellowship, and value, which offer much deeper rewards. For those of us who ultimately serve God's kingdom, the fact of the matter is that the backside of what we do requires the tools of business, including money to reach our goals, to pay salaries, to purchase equipment and resources, to be successful, to witness salvations, to be victorious in ministry. A topic that's usually never discussed in seminary or yeshiva, which has a significant part of the excruciatingly high failure rate of seminary grads in ministry. This is a staggering number, but what we do in education, either in yeshiva or seminary, truly does not prepare that person for true rounded service unto Adonai. 75% of those who graduate with seminary degrees fail or back out of ministry in the first 24 months after graduating. That is a staggering number. And it's also a major reason that many businesses fail. All too often, just talking about money makes those serving Adonai uncomfortable. It makes us squeamish. Too many clergy don't want to talk about tithing uh, in relationship to honoring God. There, This must be addressed head on. To teach the people every week at every offering. Every time I receive an offering... I'll quote scripture. I add some new stuff occasionally. Malachi, you know, says, can you steal from God? The answer is yes, by not bringing in the tithes and the offerings of the house of the Lord. There's many falsehoods out there. The tithing was an Old Testament concept that has nothing to do in the New Testament. That's all malarkey. We know Yeshua himself was supported by many wealthy women, both Jewish and Roman, who supported his ministry, who financed everything that they did as they traveled around the world sharing the good news. Paul, listen, Paul didn't walk through to Europe. Paul took ships everywhere he traveled. That's a similar to flying today, and you didn't get free ship rides back then. He had support. There was ties. There was offerings. People supported him financially. This is how it works. And in America, to have a separation of church and state, Europe, the churches are run by the crown. So the Queen of England is also the head of the Church of England. That's not how it is here, because the state pays for the clergy. We have this in Germany. You have it in France. But the danger in this is, is when religion is contrary or the word of God is contrary to what the monarchy is doing, they withhold the money and quell the word of God because they have their own separate agenda. 
I appreciate the model in America that we support ourselves and we have freedom to speak God's word in boldness and truth without any fingers from the government in our business trying to inhibit the word of truth going forth. But tithing, we have to talk about this. Pastors, rabbis, you've got to share this. You've got to talk about it. This is tithing on the gross. This is any money that comes into my house, whether it be actual monetary funds, whether it be property, vehicles, a gift, I tithe on it. Whatever the value of this is, I tithe on it. In this, God receives the blessing. And once my wife and I, Rabitzin, we figured this out 25 years ago, almost 30 years ago now, we've never had a financial problem in our life. Because we honor God, he gets all the first fruits. It's all his anyways. And you've got to get this through to the people. Far too many pastors and rabbis that you get a feeling that, well, if I talk about this, people think I'm trying to raise money and make my salary go up. Listen, we get set salaries. This has nothing to do with my what I receive and what I'm not receiving. This has to do with the blessings of God in their lives. And as clergy, we have to teach them. And i got to share with you that if you're a business person, You've got to tithe on those business earnings. As a congregation, we call this the Levitical tithe. What comes into the congregation, we then in turn and tithe back to numerous organizations throughout the land of Israel. Remember Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for God's plan of salvation to those who believe to the Jew first. So we make sure we're, we're tithing back into Messianic Jewish ministries, both in the land of Israel and here in America, the MJAA, the IMCS, the Messianic Jewish Israel Fund, the YMJA, we're heavy supporters of them, as well as Hatikva in the land of Israel and many other ministries. But I tithe personally in my income, but on the business side, you also have to tithe to see God's blessings upon you and what you seek to do. Traditional thinking in ministry is usually is, is institutional terms, salaries, hierarchies, organized with centralized resources and authority, which too often results in wages below the poverty line. A major drawback to this is a limited ability to innovate in terms of what is offered. Teaching, worship, spiritual care, practice, how it is paid for, basically grants, endowments, subscriptions, and ties. It, we, we've got to get to the basic truth of this. Without innovation, we're seeing both congregations and clergy struggle to thrive in ministry, and membership statistics bear this out. What if thinking like a business is one way to increase the value of spiritual investment for clergy, congregations, and the wider world? To think outside the box like social media, your you know footprint there, your live stream, your numerous other ways to get the message out. If the business world is discovering that there's more to life than money, then shouldn't the religious world use these same principles and profit to prove this point exactly? There are business strategies for reimagining thriving, sustainable ministry inside and beyond the walls of the congregation. And this is all too often an issue that I've experienced and witnessed over the last 35 years. I don't understand this poverty mentality in the kingdom of God. Now, listen, I would never live in a $400 million home. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I, listen, Abraham is the world's wealthiest person. God has bestowed supernatural blessings on his servants, and being prosperous and wealthy isn't a sin. But I believe there's stewardship, and I believe there's a limit to this. I would never want faucets made from gold. I mean, you see the nonsense. I would never drive a Lamborghini. I have no interest in that. those kind of material wealthy things. On the flip side, why do we insist on paying poverty wages to our staff, to our clergy, who are trying to pay bills, who are trying to raise a family? They can't pay mortgages with these miserable sums. I know congregations in my area right now that are paying pastors $38,000, $40,000 a year, which is below the poverty level. And with the rising uh, 
cost of items and we're seeing hyperinflation across the board. Many of these people fail and have to go back to the world and get into business because they can't sustain a family and can't do what they do and serve God at the same time. So we've made it a point here at Congregation Zion's sake. I'm just speaking about us right now, but we pay comparable wages to what one would receive on the outside. We give an entire package with dental, with health care. Matter of fact, we have one of the best health care packages of any business anywhere in the world because we don't want our people wondering, hey, if I get sick, how am I going to pay for this? Hey, if I need a tooth pulled, how am I going to pay for this? We need to, this, and remember what I said in the beginning, it's about relationship. So if you take care of people and you do the right thing by them, guess what they will do? They'll do the right thing by you. So we have to start looking at this a little bit and start thinking on an entrepreneurial point of view. Clergy employment is often a gray area. Do we work for the denomination? Is it working for a specific congregation? Uh, Are we self-employed contractors? Well, the answer to this is yes in all areas, depending upon who you ask and what organization you're involved with. But to reimagine clergy, think about this as a startup entrepreneur. This gives us the advantage, the energy to try new things, to connect with others in new ways, and to challenge ourselves, to innovate the process of, of bringing forth the scripture and going out into the world with the gospel and the good news. Congregation Zion's sake, you know, I'm going to back up here and go back 21 years. We weren't a congregation plant. We weren't involved with a denomination. It's not that we were a startup, if you will. Rabitzin and I started an outreach. We used our own money to mail. They thought for themselves 12 testimonies of Jewish people who've come to faith in Messiah Yeshua. We mailed out 4,000 books in our area with a little letter challenging people to read this and to find the truth out for themselves. We started getting replies back. Several people had read the back of the book, said the prayer of salvation, and said, well, now what? Where do we go? And so this led to, we started a once a month service. Then after a month or two, we went to first and third uh, Shabbat. And uh, within six months, it was clear that we had to be consistent. And I've talked about this in other areas where the Kadima talks. you got to have consistency. Because where we were meeting, sometimes they would have a conference say, hey, can you shift this from the third to the fourth? And so our people didn't know that. This is the early internet days. Not everyone had email. And it really become a mess. It's not how you grow a congregation. you got to be consistent across the board on days, meeting times, who's speaking, what you do. And so within six months, we went to every Friday. But this was a startup. And uh, we didn't even know there was a Messianic movement when we began. My friend Sid Roth sent me a song by Joel Chernoff called Jew and Gentile. This was a brand new song. I'm dating myself here. Tells you how long ago that was. He sent me a cassette tape, huh? I bought that. No uh, MP4s or uh, no CDs yet. And uh, we listened to the song. I'm like, man, this is awesome. We didn't even know that there was this kind of music widely available. So I called up to Philadelphia, got a hold of uh, my friend now, Joel Chernoff, who uh, came down. We invited him down for a concert. We'd been in uh, a congregation, a meeting for two and a half years, and he was in disbelief. He's like, well, who planted you guys? We're like, God. He's like, okay, you know, listen, who got you started? We're like, God. And he's like, okay, no kidding. Who are you associated with? We're like, Joel, this... God led us in everything we did. He was amazed. You know, internet wasn't uh, around back then, and so we didn't know that there was a Messianic movement. We didn't know where there was an MJAA or the UMJC or IMCS. And so it's been a blessing because we're not confined by the bounds, if you will, 
of normal religious denominations or doctrine or dogma. We're free to be able to minister the word in spirit and in truth. And, and to do this, it allows us to be flexible and to get into other venues or areas that are available to us. It's a great convenience for members of the congregation who can't get out, who have problems driving, even in this COVID pandemic, uh, to join a virtual Bible study rather than do one in person. It, we even do hybrid ourselves here. We do in person and we do it online for those who can't make it here. And, uh, it, you know, as clergy, we think of ourselves as entrepreneurial missionaries. We think about serving the congregation, and you do this with, I'm big on being full-time ministry. Listen, I'm going to tell you a story. When we got started, when we started our Shabbat services, I was still active duty in the Navy, and I've shared this before, but I'm going to share this again because it's really prevalent here. As we were in our first year or two, you know, the offerings were $55 a week, $100 a week. I mean, <clears throat> not exactly enough money to sustain myself. I still have young kids in school and a mortgage, uh, you know, just like everybody else. We're making a living, buying groceries, putting the gas in the minivan. And uh, and it came about in September of 20, uh, 2003, after 22 years of, uh, of, of naval service in a submarine force, which I truly enjoyed. It was an honor to serve this nation. Uh, it was time for me to retire. So I had a retirement ceremony on a Friday. So in that morning, I wore my dress whites into work. We had a retirement ceremony, had a little reception at the Chiefs Club, came home, changed, put on my suit, came to services that evening. And there'd been great discussion between uh, Rabitzin and I about doing this full-time. We're not going to do this full-time. Am I going to get into Department of Defense? I had some great contacts to uh, have some really uh, phenomenal jobs in the Department of Defense industry. I said, no, I truly believe and trust in God. He wants me to do this. If he's not a big enough God to sustain me, then I'm serving the wrong God. Come on, let's hear an amen. And so in that, that very day I retired, we come back and the offering, listen to me, the offering was 10 times what it had ever been. And from that point on, I started drawing a salary. And, uh, and as the congregation grew, my salaries increased, but it's been a great blessing to stand empowered and truth. You know, I want to share something that just crossed my mind, especially with the COVID pandemic. Many of you recall that there was PPP loans that were brought out last year. And this is for small businesses to be able to keep their payroll going, keep their people on staff. And we're eligible for this. So I looked into it. You know, your initial thought process is, wow, this is going to be a boon. This would be a great blessing. You know, we could rake in a couple hundred thousand dollars and, you know, who, who couldn't use some extra cash flow? But as I began looking into it, there's two things that struck. First of all, it became apparent that the government had some strong ties to this money and there was connections to it that made me uncomfortable. I took this then to prayer and the Lord immediately told me, no. Did you hear me? He said, no. I said, okay. I threw the paperwork out, the applications out. I stood before the congregation the next week and I shared with them at offering time. I said, the Lord has told me not to engage in this PPP stuff, that he's big enough that like Isaac will reap a hundredfold harvest in the midst of famine. And that's exactly what happened. When everyone else was having difficulties during the COVID time, when some places were closing their doors, when some were laying off pastors because they didn't have enough funds, we increased. And we, we've seen almost a 35% increase in the last nine months when everyone else is decreasing because, no doubt in my mind, our trust and steadfastness and strength in the Lord. 
And so if we use these tactics, if we stand upon this stuff, the Lord will bless you, and it doesn't matter what happens around you. And so if we think about this, we have to be entrepreneurial. We, you know, we've got to think outside the box, and we want to be able to get out there and, and reach our congregates, reach our congregations in person, virtually, on a radio, provide the resources that promote sustainability for our congregation and our mission to the Jew first. We here at Congregation Zionsick, we're diverse. We're on the radio, we're on the internet, we have resources received from those who listen, who tune in, who watch virtually uh, the services via internet. We're on YouTube, live stream, internet, Facebook, live podcast, SoundCloud, Spotify. In this day and age, you've got to be resourceful. And so, you know, and I'm speaking in parallel here. Yes, I'm talking about the congregation, I'm talking to congregation leaders who are listening, but I'm also talking to the business realm that you have to redefine or reinvent yourself. You've got to have this entrepreneurial spirit within you and seek God out, and he will guide you. This is the same way that you will get your business products out is the same way we get the good news out. There's many ways to do this. And we also got to be able to worship in spirit and truth uh, in our services. You know, it's a shame that most American families uh, say they find meaning in their families and spending time in nature and their, and their careers. Spirituality and faith practice are now farther down the list. I've shared numerous statistics over the last year of less and less Americans having faith and trust in the Lord. It's below 50% now, first time ever. I think it's 48.5% somewhere in that realm, first time ever in our history. And perhaps the reason for this is that few today are actually brought up in a faith tradition. They're unaware of how connecting the meaningful things in their lives with the eternal love of God can bring more depth and meaning to their lives. And, you know, I, I just read today in my journaling, a divine mentor, Psalm 78, verses 5 through 7. I've never seen this before. But it says, He raised up a testimony in Yaakov and established a Torah in Israel. He commanded our ancestors to make this known to their children so that the next generation would know it, the children not yet born, who would themselves arise and tell their own children, who could then put their confidence in God, not forgetting God's deeds, but obeying his mitzvah. This is, you know, the ultimate purpose in what we do is Lador Vador, from generation to generation. And we are commanded to make our history known to our children, to our children's children. And so this negative decline in the greater body of Messiah we can only look to ourselves, and we can't point fingers at the outside of the internet or this or that. It's us. And so we, we, we've got to do a better job of getting that word out. We've got to do a better job of getting on social media, of connecting to that next generation. Uh, you know, people have asked me, how come you don't get on cable TV and get on the cable channel and put your services on there? Because the reality is the next generation, they're not watching cable. They don't have cable. You, you've, you've, you've got to get into what they're watching and what they're into is what we have to delve into. That practice is how we're going to obtain and reach them and get the good news to them. And so this is why, again, we, we, we've got to be dynamic and think outside the box. For those who devote their lives to carrying the biblical faith of the God of Israel into the world, traditional practices are key elements of meaning, worship, prayer, study, Shabbat, rest, tithing, sharing resources and caring for our neighbor. That's the heart of all of our connection to God and others. And it's all found in scripture. Both ministry and business must be in proper alignment with Adonai in his word. And the first thing I want to talk about is not the first thing, of course, we've been doing a lot of things, but I want to transition now. I want to talk about, again, back to being proper in alignment. And I want to talk about God's calendar for a minute. And I mentioned this a few minutes earlier, but you know, one of the most prosperous businesses today, and uh, and I like going there myself, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. And uh, uh, Christian comedians have made songs and jokes about, oh, Chick-fil-A, they're closed on Sunday. 
Now, you know, I'm a Messianic rabbi. Is that the right day? No. But the founder of Chick-fil-A knew he wanted to dedicate his business to God, and they are one of the most prosperous fast food chain businesses in the world, and they're closed one day out of the week. Now, think about that for a second. So if you've got a business, you can't work seven days a week. You've got to honor God with a Shabbat. You, as a matter of fact, Exodus 23 says to rest on the seventh day. Exodus 20 says not to do prohibited labor on the seventh day. As a matter of fact, if you then take this out and understand the feast days, if you would align your businesses and your employees, if you would close your doors on Yom Kippur, if you would honor Pesach, if you would honor Shavuot, if you would honor the fall feast, and I'm not going to go through all of that, but you go back to Leviticus 23, Numbers 28 and 29, Leviticus 16. You know, Yom Kippur, not only are we not supposed to work, but we're supposed to fast and seek God. We're supposed to sound the shofar on Yom Teruah, the first of the fall feast, and, uh, you know, all these. But if you align yourselves, if you shut down your businesses, if you give your staff those days off, you will see God's blessings significantly multiply within your business. I had a dentist friend years ago who he would come to the services, and he was a profound believer, but he was an older gentleman, and, and uh, it's probably 15 years ago he started coming to Shabbat services. And uh, when he got this revelation, his bus- he took his dental clinic, he closed on Yom Kippur. He closed on the first day of matzah. He closed on Shavuot or Pentecost. He closed, he, you get this, he, he closed on Shabbat. He's a dentist, but he was closed from Friday evening at sunset to Saturday evening at sunset. They did emergency dental care. His business doubled. Listen, I, it's, it's so hard for people to listen. That they just think, no, I've just got to be open seven days a week. No, no. What God wants you to do is submit, obey, and be obedient to him and watch what he will do. Watch his hand upon you. And so if you follow the feast and, and don't do work on the days we're not supposed to do work, and they're all in, this isn't a feast day teaching, but I just, I'm encouraging you to align yourself with the biblical calendar and follow God's feast days, his appointed times, then you will do well in all of your business uh, endeavors. We've got to have ethics. We've got to have relationship. This is, I'm speaking right from tour now. Leviticus 19 says not to deny possession of something entrusted to you. And so if you have something that belongs to somebody else, give it to them. Leviticus 19 also says not to swear falsely in denial of a monetary claim. Numbers 30 says not to break your oaths or your vows. So there, there's got to be ethics in what you do. And, and if you if someone orders a product and they haven't picked it up, then you've got to do everything in your, your power to get it to them. If you get a product and it's not yours, then you've got to get it back to whoever uh, this belongs. But, you know, and your word has to be your word. This is another one I've had pet peeves. That here, you know, don't break your oaths or your vows. We keep standard business hours here in the congregation. They're, they're, they're online. You can see them on the webpage. They're, we're uh, painted to our front doors. You come in the building. That means we're open for business Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. to 4.30. Someone will be here in this office. We close earlier on Friday because we have services. But it means what it means. We do a countdown, a five-minute countdown before. Time is holy. And, you know, we have this joke that we kind of laugh about, and, and all the cultures have this, but we call it Jewish people time, ish, 7.30 ish. And so it's common practice in the Jewish realm that if you're having a wedding at 1.30, that means 1.30 ish, and people are showing up from 1.15 to 2.15. Time is holy. God says time is holy. So if it's holy to him and it makes a difference to him, it makes a difference to me. And so at 7.25, every Friday, we start a five-minute countdown, and there's some little joyous music in the background. Sometimes we have uh, 
you know, little uh, snippets of information or, um, but at 7.30, when that video's over, the shofar's sounding and we're starting the service. If the lights go out, if I'm not there, someone falls, it doesn't matter. At 7.30, we are starting that service because time is holy. And so if we vowed that we're going to start at 7.30, you've got to start at 7.30. If you're in a business and you start at 8 o'clock, by golly, that door better be open at 8 with the open sign on, some hot coffee brewing, and the lights on. You've got to be consistent in what you do, and you can't break your vows. You can't break your oath and do what you say you're going to do. And this is another story that, that I've shared here over the years. Uh, I've done it here in this Kadima talk, but it fits right in here. It's so prevalent with this. I needed gutters in the back of my house. And so I looked through the... the now, this is going to date myself again because I was still using a phone book, which we don't have anymore. Uh, but I looked through the ads for gutters and, I, you know, I looked because in relationship, all that I do, I seek to put my money in other businesses that are believers. So if you're a believer, you know, contractor, if you if you fix appliances, if you do automobiles, but if you're a believer, I'm going to go to you first because I want to be in fellowship and I want to prosper the kingdom of God. So I look in the phone book and I'm looking at all these uh, gutter construction people and they've all got the little Roman symbol, the little Christian symbol. You know, we all know what this jargon means. This is he's trying to tell me or she that that uh, they're they got kingdom principles. You know, of all those that I called, not one honored with a callback or showed up on an appointment time for an estimate when they said they were going to, and they're saying, they're professing that they're in the kingdom of God. The first one that showed up did not have that tactic, did not have that little Roman fish, but he showed up five minutes early. He came to the door. As soon as he walked in, I said, brother, you got the job. He said, I haven't given you the estimate. I said, well, if you're going to show up on time and do what you said you're going to do, then I believe you're going to keep your word and give me a fair estimate. He did. Two days later, 15 minutes earlier than they said they were, they showed up and put those gutters on my house. You've got to be consistent. Don't say you're one thing and then act like another. We've got to keep our word and we've got to keep our commitments no matter what it is. Several times, probably many times over the last 20 years, I've got myself into a predicament that I have the ability to be double booked. And so I've striven to make a paper calendar here. I don't keep it electronically because I have a secretary who's answering the phone and making appointments. And so it's easier to keep a centralized calendar for me here in the office. But I have talk to somebody. They gave me a call. Hey, can you do this in this date? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I come back and look at the calendar and, oh man, I'm already committed. I will ask one of those two to release me. Now, I know this is hard, but I don't call and say, well, I can't do it. I call and say, listen, I'm so sorry. I made a mistake. I humbly ask you to release me from this commitment, or I'm asking if we can reschedule because I double booked myself. And with that attitude, I've never had an issue. I've never had both of those tell me no. And I've had most of them say, oh, you don't have to do that, but I do have to do that because I'm breaking an oath, I'm breaking a vow and a commitment, and I'm asking to be released from this in love. I'm asking for forgiveness, and it works every time. I want to talk some more now about some Torah principles. We just celebrated Shavuot. We talked about the story of Ruth, and this also comes from Shavuot, Leviticus 23, Leviticus 19. We're told not to reap the corners of the fields, to leave the gleanings for the poor, uh, the gleanings of the vineyards, Leviticus 19 for the poor, to leave sheaves, Deuteronomy 24 for the poor, for the foreigners, to separate the tithe for the poor, Deuteronomy 14, to give charity, Deuteronomy 15, not to withhold charity from the poor, Deuteronomy 15, Luke 6, verses 33 and 34 says, What credit is to you if you lend only to those you expect will pay it back? Even sinners lend to each other, expected to be repaid in full. Proverbs 22, verse 26 says, We're to lend without an expectation of pay back. 
What am I saying here? I'm saying that it is our responsibility, both as a business community and as the congregation, the Kehelet, to give to the poor. The only reason we have welfare as a nation is because we, as the body of Messiah, have not maintained our biblical precept to help the poor. And so if you've got a business, you've got to tithe on your business income as well as your own personal salaries. As a congregation, we've got to tithe on our tithes as well as myself on my own salaries, tithing back unto the Lord. Proverbs says, those who help out the poor, you're lending to the Lord. And so when we lend out money, we do benevolence. Almost every person says, we're going to pay you back. And I don't say don't do that. I don't say we expect that. I don't say we don't expect that. We just give the money because we're supposed to lend without expectation that it will come back. If you can't give money to someone because it's too much and it must be paid back, then don't do it. You know, the word also says don't co-sign a loan for other people. This is very interesting. We're not to take on their debts. There's so many businesses practices we see in the word. Leviticus 19 says we must ensure that our scales and weights are accurate. So our measurements need to be correct, not not falsely done. Don't commit injustice with weights and scales, Leviticus 19.35. Don't possess inaccurate scales, Deuteronomy 25, verse 13. Don't move boundary markers, Deuteronomy 19, verse 14. And so we start seeing this greater biblical mitzvahs and commands on business ethics. And so, you know, if a fair price for your product... That's what the Lord is saying here. Don't, uh, you know, uh, we've seen this recently in the gas shortage. There's gas stations now that are we're charging $6.99, $7.99 a gallon. We call that price gouging. That's unethical. They paid the same amount for that gas that they did three weeks before. The price of gas in our entire region should not have gone up. Why did it go up? Because of improper business ethics. They don't have the correct morals and values that we see in the Bible. That price should have remained the same because the gas that they're purchasing it for has remained the same. They're just a shortage of getting it here. And so it's the same thing. You know, if a hurricane's coming, if you've got extra food, share it with your neighbor. Don't jack up the prices. We've, we've got to help each other. We've got to get back to this community understanding. And we do this in both businesses and in the congregation because it, there's a lot of parallel and there's a lot of uh, uh, similarity between the two. The word says to pay your workers and pay a decent wage, uh, not to withhold wages or fail to repay a debt, Leviticus 19. Don't leave others distraught with their burdens, Deuteronomy 22, verse 4. So we've, we've got to help others. Even if you've got a business that's doing the same thing you are, if they need your help, help them. God will bless and honor you. Don't withhold wages. Pay them when they're due. I know businesses all far too often that they get in trouble. They don't pay wages. They don't pay the salary, sometimes for weeks at a time. That's a sin. According to the word of God, it's a sin. And I'm going to say this again, fair wages. All too often, people in the kingdom are cheap. Don't pay under the table. That's against, that's against all morals and ethics. Pay them the wages. Take the taxes out. Do it correctly. Buy and sell according to the Torah, Leviticus 25. Don't overcharge or underpay for an article, Leviticus 25. Pay the wages on the day they were earned, Deuteronomy 24. Don't delay payment of wages, Leviticus 19. Lend to the poor and the destitute, Exodus 22. So I hope you're starting to see this, that God has a lot to say 
about what you're doing in your business. God has a lot to say to us in ministry. We've got to do for our people. We've got to have good medical plans. We've got to provide a clean, stable atmosphere. You've got to empower your people. You've got to put the tools in their hand that they need. Listen, we know prices are going up like crazy. And I just want to humbly share that we recently pulled the trigger and purchased a significant amount of equipment for our future growth because we know already that this price is going to double or triple in just months. But we've we've got the best because God deserves our very best. I spoke to you about the spirit of excellence a couple of Kadima talks ago. This goes into our practices as well. And so why would I buy cheaper, shoddy equipment to honor and glorify God and get his message out when it will bring dishonor to him and make us look bad? So we do the best in all that we do. But remember, ministry is a business, but business is never a ministry. It's all about relationships and alignments, and it's about aligning your business. It's about aligning your congregation with the Word of God and doing the right business principles, uh, ethics, and morality that God has glorified in all that you do. Mishpacha, I pray this has been a blessing upon you. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may all that you do prosper and succeed in Adonai. Shalom. Shalom.